All right, Jill, do you want to take it from here for right now, and we'll go um, through some slides? Perfect. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for being on the phone with us this morning um, as we're excited to walk you through um, the demo for 4-H Online. Um, we appreciate the feedback and the questions that we've been getting from everyone as we're preparing to make this transition. Um, we're excited. And Kid, can I advance the slides? Uh, let me know when you need me to do that. I'm not sure. Go ahead and advance to the next one. Okay. We're um, excited, um, in addition to Katie and myself, to have um, Becky from 4-H Online joining us this morning. Um, she's going to be um, taking the majority of the time today to walk us through um, a demo of the features that 4-H Online has to offer um, and show you some of the initial pieces we'll need to do um, as we prepare to launch this. But before we jump into that, um, there's a bit of information that we want to um, share just to open the discussion. Uh, I'd invite you to post um, questions in the chat box. Katie and I will be keeping an eye on that as we go throughout the discussion today. Um, and certainly, we want to try to address the questions that you're having. Um, yes, uh, there's a question in the chat box that says that um, there's maybe a volume issue or location. So. Um, Kathleen, thanks for responding to that. Okay. So just a quick um, update reminder, um, if you haven't seen the email traffic or the pieces and alerts um, that are going out, we want to remind everybody um, why we're changing um, to a new online enrollment platform. 4-H um, Online announced earlier this summer that they would be discontinuing their support for access in March of 2015. And so we realize we're on a bit of an accelerated timeline for transitioning um, simply because we're trying to avoid that change happening in the middle of the program year. So again, we can't say enough that we'll continue to appreciate your patience as we um, launch this new program. We're really excited about the features it has to offer and the usability of the program. And, and I hope that you'll see that as we move through the demo with Becky this morning. Um, the launch date and when it'll be um, available for use will be October 1st. And we'll continue to talk a bit more throughout the this morning about um, when your accounts will be active so that you can get in and start um, looking at um, setting up your county-specific features. Okay. Um, one of the things we want to note, and you'll, you'll recognize this quickly, I think, as we begin to go through the demo is that 4-H Online has a lot of really exciting features. We're going to be enabling those in phases. And so right now, what we'll be spending our um, the majority of our time talking about is youth enrollment. Um, so we'll be talking through the process for engaging families, how families will go online and enroll, um, and um, how you'll need to um, set up the uh, county-specific features. Other pieces will follow related to volunteers, um, related to online payments, and we'll continue to roll those out on a timely basis. But uh, we want to start with just focusing on youth enrollment. Um, one of the things I think that um, will be a bit of a change, um, but again, another one that we're excited about, is that families will now enroll exclusively online. 
So all of our enrollment forms, health forms, um, code of conduct forms will be able to be um, accepted electronically. Um, and we're excited that families will be able to take that initiative to enroll when it's most convenient to them. Um, and then um, hopefully help remove some of the um, paperwork burden um, that would happen in your offices. Um, as I started to mention, um, some of the pieces that you would have previously collected in paper form before, in addition to the enrollment form that will be included um, in the online collection, are pieces like the health form, the media release, um, the IRB consent and assent forms, code of conduct, um, and then new to us this year, the university youth protection policy. Uh, many of you may be familiar with that policy as we've uh, made some um, programmatic changes to better align with those policies. One piece of that is that we are required um, to get consent from parents in form of a signature that they're aware and familiar of the policies. And so you'll find that there'll be a page in the enrollment process where families will be able to read the policy and click a button that says, yes, they've had a chance to read the policy, and then sign by typing their name into a box. Uh, another um, piece that we want to mention um, is that we won't be migrating our current data from Access 4-H. We've had several questions about, is there anything we need to do um, in regards to getting our current data out? Um, we are recommending that you run a couple of reports from Access. Um, one, the youth member report, so that you're able to um, have an archive of their years enrolled. And Katie can maybe talk a bit more about that. And then also the volunteer report, so you're able to have an archive of that years in service. Um, but there won't be any kind of a mass movement of the data. Um, as we talked to other colleagues at other land-grant universities who've made this change, um, it was recommended to us that migrating the data um, had not been as successful as, as others had hoped. And um, it was given the advice was given to us just to start clean um, with the new system. Katie, do you want to talk just a bit more about those reports? Yeah, I can. Um, those reports will be pretty easy for you guys to pull off. And the reason that we're recommending the two reports is that we know the frustrations that counties had um, following the move from 4-H plus to Access 4-H. You know, some of those years of enrollment didn't jive very well. Some of those volunteer years of service didn't jive either. So we want to give you the best opportunity to have that data correct and not have the frustrations that you went through um, when we moved from 4-H plus to Access 4-H. Um, we are still recommending that you count all the years that the youth are enrolled um, from Clover Kids on up so that there's no um, issue of you guys having to go back and count. If you want to do that on a county level, that's okay. But we are recommending that you do count and honor all those years enrolled for the youth members, um, like we did with Access 4-H. 4-H online is able to break that up, but that's going to be on a county-by-county county basis. And we'll have to walk through each with each of you on how to set that up. But um, we are sticking with the recommendation that you honor all those years of of enrollment when you're doing your uh, your recognition <laughs> evenings. 
Anybody have any questions on how to run those reports? Those are some pretty basic ones that we've run probably yearly. So there probably there shouldn't be too many questions or confusion on what we would suggest that you run. But uh, if there are, please type those in the chat box or, or speak up, and we can address that. Katie, it looks like maybe one person is is typing. So let's hold just a moment for that. Katie, I'm not sure if you're able to see the chat box with your screen shared, but the question is, will we send the links for those reports? Um, I can send what you should be pulling, but all you would really need to pull is their first name, last name, and years in 4-H. Those are the three things. You wouldn't need county. You wouldn't need any of that other information because we're going over clean. So what I would, I would do, first name, last name, uh, years enrolled for the youth members, then first name, last name, years of service for the volunteers. And if you need help with that, just contact me and we can walk through that. So Katie, perhaps as a follow-up, we'll just send out an email with reiterating what you just shared. Yep, absolutely. We will send out um, kind of the next steps after this webinar and we'll include that in it. Um, so at this time, we're going to go ahead and break from the webinar. We have some slides, and we'll go back to this, and, and certainly um, we'll go back to more discussion about questions you'll be having. Um, but we're going to introduce Becky um, from 4-H Online. Um, she's going to walk us through a demo of some of the features that 4-H Online has. Again, keep in mind, we won't be turning on all of those features right now. Um, and she'll spend a majority of her time, I think, focused on um, what the youth enrollment piece looks like, setting up your um, county account, and so forth. So, Becky, we're pleased that you're able to join us this morning, and, and we'll turn the floor over to you for the um, next section of the presentation. Becky, your mic is still muted. Okay, I'm back on any way, shape, or form. Am I back now? Yep, you're, I, I can hear you. Oh, excellent. I somehow got kicked out of here, and I, I don't quite know how that happened. Uh, just call me technologically um, retarded. Um, so anyway, what I was saying when I had my mic muted before I got kicked out was um, I'm really glad to be here. Celeste was, not, was planning to be here, and then she was not able to due to uh, a family situation. Um, although I am new as a Registration Max employee, uh, having started this past Monday, um, I'm not new to 4-H Online um, until 
Friday, my job was uh, state support for 4-H online um, with Iowa. And Iowa has been on 4-H online. Uh, this is our sixth year going into that. Uh, so I've, I've got a, a great deal of experience uh, from the state uh, from the state side, the state support side. And uh, so I'm really glad that you're joining us. And and I hope to show you a little bit about uh, what the program can do for you and what you'll be doing in the program. Uh, the program has has a bunch of stuff available that and and you won't as as you heard earlier you will be able to uh, start on all of that at one time and truly a uh, phased deployment is is pretty much what we did in Iowa six years ago. The reason for it then was because all of the features weren't available yet. So uh, you have you have the ability to plan when you're going to deploy the, the various items. You should hopefully be able to see my screen right now. Um, and I'm going to kind of go into what you'll see when you log in. Because right now, I'm logged in as a county user would be in Nebraska. Um, one of the things, uh, before we get started going across the dashboard and talking about what's there, um, decrease the resolution. No idea how to do that. Um, absolutely no idea. I, I, I made my screen smaller. Does I hope that helps. Um, anyway, what I want to talk about is what is available or what will be available for you briefly uh, before we go into what is available now. So, so everything looks larger. Well, let's try going the other way. Um, how's, is that any better? That's about as big as I can make it on my screen. A little better. Okay, well, let's stick with that for now. Um, what you see up at the top, you see two tabs right now, and that would be enrollment and data. And that's how you're going to start deploying the program here in Nebraska. Other tabs will become available as, as they're opened up. Um, and so what do you do with 4-H online besides keep track of 4-H kids? Well, keeping track of 4-H kids, as you already know, is a task in and of itself. Um, and 4-H online will allow you to keep track of everything about the kid. And you can see those across the top, that uh, their projects, their activities, their awards, what groups they're involved in, your group enrollments, all of those things about a young person that are, that are pretty typical. But in addition, um, other things that will be available to you are, are the ability to identify their animals online. Iowa did that as the first state. And um, aside from some bumps in the road in the first year, um, that is an amazing feature that those uh, young people, we've returned the responsibility to the young people to uh, make sure that their information is entered in a timely manner to, to the young people and to their families to say, you know, this is our deadline and you need to make sure that your animal is properly identified if you want to exhibit that at a fair. Um, and you, you need to take ownership of that again instead of being able to say, well, I gave it to the county office and they lost it. So my folks th thought that was a deal. Maybe you don't have the same issues. 
Um, and events. Um, 4-H Online has a built-in ability to create an event and let the young people register through their 4-H Online login for that event. Then that event becomes a permanent part of their record and it brings over the event registration then of course brings over all the information that's already in the program about the young person. So kind of eliminates some of that double entry. So those are two of the big things um, that you'll see uh, throughout this year probably. If you have questions, uh, let's see, message from Amy. Once an animal, oh, I lost it. Once an animal is... We'll get to animal IDs later. We're not going to roll that out until probably the spring. So okay. we'll address those questions as they come at that point. Okay. Well, let's go with what we've got now. And what we've got now is I'm logged in as the demo county here in Nebraska. And so going past that login process, because you'll get your information about how to log in as your accounts are set up, um, this is what you see when you very first log in. This is going to be the dashboard that you see. Um, it comes up automatically to the search icon. And I just want you to notice that um, there are different things and different ways to search. So you can search for members and volunteers by their name and the list of them there uh, that fit the search criteria is at the bottom. And you can see the search options here that you can search by name, uh, at the state level by county or at the county level by club. You can search for only adults or only the active people, um, females, flagged records, that kind of thing. So you can search for members, you can search for families, projects, activities, awards, groups, um, and the training when that's opened up. So different ways to search for different people and pull them up on screen. And, by the way, one of the things my folks loved was the addition, I hope you can see it, I know it's teeny here, but right here at the top of the list, there is um, a Save to Excel button. And so once you get the people on screen, if all you need to know is who they are, um, or the information basically that's on screen, that Save to Excel button um, just pops out that search list exactly the way it is out to Excel. Um, saves a lot lot of time if you just need to answer who was that. So that's kind of neat. But anyway, all right, so I digress. Um, let's look at your account. This is the way that the My Account screen will look for you. The email is how you log into the program. And then you have a space for first name and last name, the organization title, the mailing address, and then down here, the county. What county are you associated with? You'll be able to see all, see and edit all the information from kids in your county. 4-H Online works on a login hierarchy. Um, the state person can see and edit all the information for all of the state. Um, a district login, I don't know if you're going to use that or not, but a district login has read-only access to specific counties. And then the county uh, can see and edit everything from their county. The members can see and edit everything about their own record. So um, it works on that permissions hierarchy the way that you would think it might. So this will be information on your um, My Account screen. Again, that's the My Account from the dashboard. Those fields that have the star and are in bold, those are required fields. So all of those need to be filled in. 
when you go down to the bottom of that screen, this is where you'll set a new password if you want to do that. And when someone leaves extension employment, um, change the password so they don't have access to extension information anymore. That's the big deal there. Um, passwords do have to be, you know, kind of that standard, a minimum of eight characters and using either um, a number or a, or a symbol within those eight characters. So make it um, memorable and 4-H is kind of a convenient number to put in there. So nonetheless, that's about all there is to the account side of this as far as managing your account. Let's go to what you're going to do set up as a county. What are your options? How can you set this up? Um, the three counties that will be combined, combined, I'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, the options screen, this is what you see as a county. Here are your options. If you're, when you get to animals, you'll look at that. But today is not the day for that. Let's look at this next uh, thing down here for families. If you check these boxes, um, you're going to limit your family's access to the program. Um, and I don't, you absolutely do not want to do the second one. Because if you do the second one, even families with a good valid account and a family account and a youth and everything complete will not be able to log in and go edit their records. So the second one is a don't do that. The first one. What that does is, and I, I, I don't know your policy here in Nebraska, but what the first checkbox does is mean that if a new family with no kids that have ever been in 4-H before wants to create their family record, they would not be able to create it online. You as a county manager would have to create the family for them, and then they could add the youth to their family. Um, in the first year, if you're going to have your families going online, you don't want that checked either because you want them to be able to create their record. Um, so there you go. Those two boxes are there. Um, don't check them. Um, some counties um, require that, that young people have their projects selected by a specific date during the year, or at least in Iowa there were some counties that did that. So if you have that in your county, um, you can select the month and day uh, that the projects need to be selected by. And then what that does is blocks the family and youth from going into their record and adding a new project after that date. So again, I don't, I don't know exactly your specific 4-H policies, but if that is one in your county, you can set that there. Uh, the enrollment invoice, you're not going to be doing that yet. You're also not going to be doing events or um, the fair um, yet. So the rest of this is basically um, unimportant. The only important thing for you right now is this month and day of the last project selection date, if you have one. If you don't, just leave it blank. And the part about families and letting them into the program. Um, and I don't, don't believe that you'll be um, doing that at this point either. So um, do you have any questions about that before I go back to the main dashboard? Um, the question is, will there be a manual? I'm just betting there will be. <laughs> Pretty sure about that. Um, there are help sheets that are 
being created by the company at this point. And then there's all the stuff that I have from Iowa that can be adapted um, to meet Nebraska's specific need. <laughs> Um, I'm going to let uh, Caitlin, or yeah, if you would talk about the Hyde projects, is that available in Nebraska? Uh, what that would do would be to, um, in a, a county that didn't want to offer a state level uh, project that you've defined at the state level, they could hide it so their families didn't see it and couldn't enroll in it. We don't do that in Iowa. Uh, is that part of? Is that part of how you manage this? I don't think that's how we're going to manage it. We're going to allow counties to have these state lists, and then they can add their county-only projects. I don't believe there's anything that we need to hide at this point in terms of county, uh, projects that the state is no longer supporting. Yeah, the, the projects are basically defined at, um, at the state level. And so some states, um, there are counties who, who specify they're not going to offer all those projects. And, and like I said, Iowa isn't one of those. A, a project is truly a statewide project. So, um, all right. So let's, um, let's not get into too much detail. Let's walk through the process here. All of these things are things that you as a county will be looking at. But let's go through that process. What does it look like? To create, um, to create a new family record, um, and then to put youth in that family record. And I and I started a uh, a family earlier to make sure that it worked the way I thought it did. And so let's walk through that, and then I'll come back to some questions uh, after I get done with the family youth process. Um, either from the members volunteers search tab or the family tab. You can click Add a Family. And in 4-H Online, the basis here is that um, the family is the base unit. And when we say family, what we really mean is that household address. So if you have combined family live in one house, that is one family record. Um, and so the base unit is the household, the address. And then once you get the household or address established, you start adding people into that house. You, you fill your house. So that's how that works. Let's go ahead and add a family and see what the process looks like. And again, I'm logged in. Because there aren't any valid family um, logins right now, I'm logged in as a county user. So this is what it looks like on the county side. It's similar to what it's going to look like for the families. And I'll try to point out where there will be some differences. But we're going to add a new family here. And the family uh, is going to pick their county. And hopefully 99% um, of the time, they do select the correct county um, like that. So here we go. We're going to enter the family name. And this is going to be the Jones family, because I'm not very creative. Um, the family name needs to be, we discovered in Iowa, that what the family name needs to be is the one that the post office recognizes if you send mail to the Jones family at this address. So when you have those combined families with two different names living in that same address, you sort of have to pick uh, which is the primary um, 
inhabitant of that house. And sometimes you hit that and sometimes you miss it. A family email. Um, obviously, I'm going to put in a pretend one. And this is what happens in Iowa when a family does not have internet or does not have email, that kind of thing. Uh, we make it up, but we make it um, memorable. So this is Stephen Jones at, and we always use nomail.com. And you don't want to use just Jones at nomail.com because there might be a lot of those. So Stephen Jones at nomail.com. It's a valid email format. It, the computer will read it as, as a valid email format, but it is not a valid email address. No mail goes to that address. And then we'll enter the family phone. All right, so. That's going to be. Okay, so those three things come in. And the reason that you start with those three things is because there's a cross-checker in the program built in to make sure that a family isn't creating a new family when their family already exists. Sometimes when folks forget their password, they think the fastest way around it is simply to create a new record. Not so good. So then I'm going to click on this Confirm Add This New Family. And I'm going to add the family. And comes up here is the cross-check results. If this family um, existed, if there was a Jones family, the Jones family would be listed here. If Stephen Jones at nomail.com had been used before, it would come up here, and that is a hard stop. If the email's been used before, that's a hard stop. You can't go ahead and create that family using the same email over again. Um, and then the family phone. I, I think that's a hard stop as well, but it may be a soft stop. Jones is a soft stop, meaning that if there is another Jones family, you can say, yeah, but it's not the same one. Go ahead and add the family. If the email has been used before, you do not have the option to go ahead and add the family using the same email. Okay. So I'm gonna, there's nothing listed here. That means there's no conflicts. So I'm going to go ahead and add that family. And it takes me back to the search screen, and I don't see, obviously, that Jones family. I have to go over to the Families tab now, which I'm not sure that's the way this is supposed to work, but nonetheless. So here's the Jones family, the three pieces of information that I put in. And now I'm going to go ahead and log into that family. And while I say log in, I want to make sure that you understand that the computer knows who you are. The computer knows who you logged in as at the main screen. And even though it says you're logging into the family, you're really not. You're not changing who you are. You still maintain the rights and restrictions of who you logged in at the main screen. So there are things you can do and things you can't based on that first login. OK, so here we go. The mailing address. Oh, what was that? A, B, I, E. I had to look up a, a account. Uh, I'll show you what happens. If I put in an, uh, and I'm going to go ahead and at the bottom, one thing I need to tell you is, and I'm sure this is the same way in Access 4-H, this is a web-based program. What you see on screen is simply on screen until you click a continue or a save button. 
It isn't saved until you tell it to. So I'm going to go ahead and click continue, and I'm going to get an error message here. Because you've, your state has turned on city and zip code match. So now it's telling me, well, no, I'm not going to continue because that zip code doesn't go with that town. All right. So now I've got it. So I, I think I remember it does match. And I'll click continue. And it does. Um, and, and so we are. Uh, I thought I would get an error message on the address. It, it says the address is not verified. That is not um, um, an actual address in ABIE Nebraska, Abbey Nebraska, whatever that is. That is um, not an address. Yeah, Abbey. Okay, good. Um, that is not a valid address. Becky, um, that Abbey is actually in my county, so that's funny that you picked oh. Abbey. Okay. Well, no, it was the top one in the alphabetical list of zip codes. <laughs> okay. So the address is not verified, and what that means is that there was a request sent up to the US Post Office server to match that address, and it didn't find one. So that means something is wrong. It could be as little as um, it should say street, or it should have a period after street. Typically, that is not it. This is the correct way to put it in. Basically, what it means is that address doesn't exist in that town. So there's something wrong with that address. And then we have the. Uh, the email listed here. And the, at that point, now we're going to start populating that household with either adults or contacts or youth. And an adult means adult volunteer, not adult parent. It means adult volunteer. So adult records are for the, um, the your volunteers. Contacts are people who you wouldn't count on your ES-237 because they don't either volunteer for you or belong to your program. But for some reason, you want to keep them in here so they get the newsletter or whatever. Um, so that would, that would be a contact. But typically, we're going to go to youth first. That's, we're going to add that member. So we chose youth. We clicked add member. And this is the same thing the families will see at this point. All right. Running through the personal information. Again, remember if it has a star and it's bold, um, it's required information. This profile information is now no longer about the family. It's about this one young person. Um, the, in, the address from the family, all populated in here. But if Bobby has her own email, address. She's a senior or she's in high school and she has her own email address. This is a separate um, email field. It's not the same one. It auto-populated from the first one, uh, but it doesn't, um, it, it can be changed and it's a separate field. Okay, so she, you can have another address, another email here for the kid. Um, the birth date is a required field. And there is a calendar here if you want to pick it up. The big deal that you'll find that your families will do wrong is they'll type in 10-1 or they'll pick the calendar and pick the right day. And then they'll forget to put in the right year. Um, so that's important. Um, gender, of course, is required. Their correspondence preference, do they prefer to be contacted by mail or by email? You may or may not use that filter right away this first year. Eventually, that'll become important because there are built-in filters 
in the program to only print mailing labels according to um, that correspondence preference. This is um, her kid. It's on the kid's profile screen instead of the family profile screen. But if they will allow you to contact them um, by text message, they can enter a cell phone number, click this box, and pick their provider. And hundreds of providers are here, or way plenty. Uh, but if there's a provider in your state that is not listed here, um, you need to contact the company, and they'll figure that out for you, how to get that on there. So again, if they, if they will let you contact them by text message, they put in their cell phone, they click yes, and they select their provider. Um, and then the years in 4-H, because this is a, I entered this new record, um, it defaults to a 1. Um, this is where that report that Caitlin talked about earlier is going to come in real handy um, to make sure that those are correct. These fields here, um, I see that you've set them up as required. I'm going to wonder about that just a little bit in terms of whether all families have uh, um, cell phones, work phones to put in here, and whether that might cause more questions than um, more questions than it solves. But nonetheless, right now these are required. So the parent one is Steve, and he is Jones, and we got to have a a cell phone. The second parent, well, that's Audrey. Um, but she's remarried, and know that the parent two, I'm sorry, the parent two is in that household. In some households, there may not be a second parent. So that's, again, why I'm going to kind of think maybe you want to rethink about whether these should be required or um, just visible. So anyway, at the present time, they are required. So I'm going to fill them in or I'm not going to be able to go on. Um, if the parent to address, probably not the right place to put those because down here we actually have the second household. And the whole thing about uh, what I said about households is really important here. What you're entering in is information about who lives in this house. Who's the first parent and the second parent in this house? If there is a second house associated with this kid, mom lives in a different town, then that goes in here, the second household family name, the second household address, city, state, etc. So that's where the second household, the other address, goes. Down here, we've got the emergency contacts. And I see that those are required. Um, Um, the cell phone is also required there. So again, I'm really going to consider um, whether you really want those to be required. An emergency contact email, I will just say that in Iowa, they laugh at that because if you have to get in touch in some, with someone in an emergency, you're probably, probably not going to email them. Um, but nonetheless, there we have. So we filled out all those required fields. Notice here that there is a second 4-H county available. 
So, and what that does is if a young person is enrolled in two different um, clubs or activities in, in two different counties, for instance, maybe there isn't a shooting sports club in the county he lives in. His main club is in one county and his shooting sports club is in another county. You can share the kid's record between the two counties by filling out the 4-H county and the second 4-H county. When you do that, that record then belongs jointly to the two counties. The volunteer is a uh, required field and it's default to no. With an adult, you'd want to make sure that got to yes. Um, the ethnicity is a required field. Um, and then if you check uh, not Hispanic, which is up here that no, you must select at least one race option. And notice that down at the bottom, You've elected, your state is elected that they can say they don't want to tell you what they are. Okay. Residence is required, again, for that ES-237. And right now, this family mem member military service, I noticed, is also. So they have to actually come down here and physically select no one in my family is serving in the military. Uh, the school thing set up yet. But when it is, the family will check, will pick the county of their school. Whether it's the same as the county that they belong to 4-H in or not is irrelevant. So they pick the county that their school is associated with. And then what will happen as soon as the import is done is it will, this list will populate with all of the school districts and schools that are associated with Keith County. Um, if they can't locate their school in the, in the list, they can check this box, type in a school name, and then this is also for charters, homeschools, um, that kind of thing. So if you have homeschool kids, they're going to click, um, check that bottom box, type in a name, and then they're going to pick that as a homeschool or alternative school. So there is a way to do that. The grade is a required field primarily, as you know, because of the ES-237. That's part of the reporting requirement. So once you get this stuff in, then the continue button at the bottom, and I got lucky that time. I didn't get a pink message that said there are validation errors. So I got everything in the way it was supposed to be. Um, on this screen, because I'm logged in as a county, I don't see the text that the members will see on screen. When they're logged in as themselves, they will see all of the things that they need to agree to. And then they'll see a box that says, yep, I agree. And then there are signature lines for that. So we have the code of conduct, the uh, treat, re participate, and release of claims, the photo release, the survey release, the protection policy. Um, the school information, Caitlin, I'm going to defer to you because I don't know about that and that's a required field. Um, I was not able to go on without filling that out. So I'm right. going to go ahead and defer to you to talk about these. Yep, the school information is currently on our enrollment form. We'd like to collect that date of high school graduation just so we can track our 4-H members as they move through our, our system and then on to hopefully the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Um, that is just a piece of information that we have tried to um, collect in the past, and we are going to continue collecting it. 
with the understanding that making it required when this is a brand new fourth grader um, enrolling in 4-H for the first time, that's going to be confusing that they need to put in when are they graduating. And they're going to make a guess because this is a date. Um, it, it might even be better to change it to a year field and then they can just say I'm going to graduate in 2017. Yeah, is there a way that that can be formatted as a, as a drop down? Um, Caitlin, do you need to, um, do, is everyone who's on aware of what these different policy things are going to say? Do we need to talk about that or? No, none of those not. have changed. So those should be um, the same as they have always been. Everyone has been made aware of the new policy handbook is out, um, came out last year or in the spring, I should say. The new code of conduct was introduced to us in January, so everyone should be familiar with that stuff. Okay, so once I get this high school graduation date in here and then I click continue, that's going to take me over to the health form. This is uh, basically the way the families will see it as well. Who's the emergency contact? And again, that, that may change because of where it is on the other screen. Um, participant may be released too. Um, and then all the questions that I'm kind of assuming have always been on your um, have always been on your health form. So it looks a little different. It's kind of a long scroll through screen, but it really doesn't take much time. These are all required, so they physically have to say yes or no to each condition. Uh, so you do know that they have been here and they haven't just overlooked um, this. They have, um, they have had to click yes or no. Um, then they have the allergies. Um, if this is required and they leave it blank, I'm not sure what's going to happen there. But like I said, some of these forms are, are still in, in the working stage. So um, then you have your immunizations and the immunization dates and um, the medication section um, and all that good stuff. At this point, because all of these fields are required, I am going to have a hard time getting to the participation screen because I can't get there without um, putting this in. So I'm just going to do a real quick um, um, yes, no on these. So that I can go to the next screen. And Caitlin, is does this follow exactly the health form that you've had in the past? Yes, it does. Okay. So this isn't new news. Uh, I do think I'm going to have to put something in here. And I'm almost betting that because these checkboxes are required, I'm going to have to check each one. So I, that's something to look at as well.
Okay, so I think I have all the required fields with some information in them, so now I'm going to go ahead and continue. Uh, no. I missed one at the top. That figures. So, again, if you miss something, it tells you and it doesn't let you go on. Um, and I missed that, too. Okay. Just a reminder, as we're all watching this, we clearly have some edits to make on um, the requirements on these fields for this form. The text is exactly the same as what you would have previously seen. We just need to reset those, um, those boxes so that if they um, haven't had um, some of those conditions, they're not forced to type something there. Okay. Um, yeah, this building process, there was a lot to building it out at eight level, and so that that's still an ongoing thing. It 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 will it will ebb and flow as as you start using the program and you see what works best for you. Um, I, you've got in you've got it set up that they can uh, enroll in a at, they must enroll in one club, um, but no more than eight. Um, when they come to this screen and they're going to select their club, the only clubs that show up are the ones that are associated with their county. So we'll click that. And you do have to click Add Club. And now that club shows up down here. If there were more clubs available when they pull this uh, list down the next time, it would show only the ones that haven't been selected yet. And again, then when you have more than one club, one of them does have to be designated as uh, the state training club. When you get to when a family or you get to this point, there is enough information on the record that it could be submitted at this point. There's no other required information. So now we start seeing this submit enrollment button. The continue will take us on over to projects. So, so I'll go over to I'll continue, and now we're on the projects tab. Um, and so. There aren't any projects set up for your state yet, so it works the same way as the club. <laughs> so, like I said, now we um, now we start seeing that submit enrollment button showing up. Ooh, that's bad. <laughs> okay. So there is a minimum of one project, so I can't go on to, to um, finish this record because we don't have any projects to pick from. But nonetheless, you kind of get the idea of how that process is going to work, that they're going to have to pick a project, and then they'll be able to submit their enrollment. Well, what happens after they submit their enrollment? When they submit their enrollment, then over on the Members and Volunteers screen, Instead of being incomplete, as they are now, they'll be pending. And at that point, you as a county will go in and check their information, and you will accept that enrollment, and they'll become active. And I can't demo that right now because I don't have any pending kids. Uh, but that's kind of a walkthrough of what the, a sketchy walkthrough of what the process of getting those families and the member data in the program is going to look like. So I'm going to stop now and take some questions and let you lead where the discussion is going to go next.
Um, I need to stop sharing my screen somehow. So let me see. Yep, there we go. Okay, so I'm done sharing my screen, and let's. Um, are there questions? I, I've seen some things pop up, but I've kind of let them go, thinking that Caitlin was probably answering them. So if there are questions for me, let's. Caitlin, can you guide me? Yep, I see a lot of people typing, so I'm going to let them type, and we'll see what pops up. I do know I'm going to scroll up a little bit in the chat box. Um, see if I can. Katie, while you're scrolling and looking, one I know that we missed. There was a question um, when Becky, when you talked about the text, to describe better how the system would allow you to send mass text to those um, families that have put a cell phone in and indicated that they would accept text information. Right. There's a module in 4-H Online called the Connect module, and that allows you to send broadcast emails and text messages uh, through the system. And I think that'll be opened up for you fairly shortly. Uh, it's it's a pretty slick process, um, and so the the system itself will send a text message um, to to whatever people have said they will accept text messages within the parameters that you set, um, that kind of thing. All right, we've got a couple questions coming in here. Um, Becky, I have sent a list of all of our clubs here in Nebraska to be imported. Gwen wants to know, will those clubs from that specific county be the only active clubs that the families in that county see? How are you handling the clubs? Are you letting counties create clubs, or are you doing that from the state level? We have a list to select to be imported. Right, but if there's a new club that starts, who adds it? The county would add that. Okay, all right, that's the same way Iowa does it. So yes, the, the clubs that are imported uh, will show up on the pull-down. Um, as a county manager, and let me go back to sharing my screen again, because I that would be... Um,
All right, here's the next question. Will the counties be notified if and when families go back in and update their records, say they change their phone number, email, something like that? Will there be a notification to the county or just when they run a report, it pops up different? Okay. Okay. Um, next. Um, I'm just reading from my list here. Will they be able to designate Clover Kid um, independent member, active, inactive member status when they enroll? I'm guessing Sling County. Independent members or inactive or active members? Right, and I think looking back through the list of clubs, each county had at least one independent member club, so that shouldn't be an issue. Um, here's a question, the coming county one. Can a club list two leaders as organizational contacts?
And Becky, on that independent club piece, just as I'm watching the comments, I'll just say that we'll let that be managed at the county level. Considering some counties don't allow independence, we won't create that state-level club. So if you need one or more independent clubs and you don't already have them, you'll need to create that. Here's a question, Becky, from Lori. Um, will we also be able to send bulk emails besides text since there are still some people that don't have texting on their phone plan? The we'll have to, Kathleen, Jill, and I will visit that question and let everyone know what, what we're thinking on that. Yep, Katie, I agree. We've got a little work to do on the health form piece, and we'll get back in touch with everyone. If not before the next webinar, certainly we'll address that on our next um, one of these regular Adobe Connects. At this point, what we're thinking is um, do these online Adobe Connects for right now. Um, we'll explore it further. Um, I know with Access 4-H and ShowWorks, we did that and have done that. Um, I'm not sure with this that we will, but it's definitely something that if it's important to you guys that we will 
will explore and um, just let us know your opinion on that. We want to make it worth your time to come to, and um, if that's something that you're interested in, then we'll do our best to make that available. Yep, I'd echo that. Uh, right now, the main strategy is going to be online, but we have not ruled out um, district trainings if there is enough demand for um, those to be hosted. And, and I saw a couple of questions about Front Door Forum, and yes, we are going to address it at Front Door Forum, and we may walk through some of the stuff that we did today, but it's not going to be, um, I'm not expecting it to be or anticipating it to be a full-on training. More to get your opinions, thoughts, questions on things we need to address later on. Um, How long will Access 4-H remain active? Uh, March 1st, Jill, is that the date that I keep? March of, March of 2015. I believe that's correct, Becky. So just with that in mind, um, ensure that you're running the reports um, that you need to get out of Access prior to that date. We are going to, like I said, we're going to replace that access portion, um, but I obviously have never been to Front Door Forum and don't know what, okay, and Jenny says I'll be covering ShowWorks at Front Door Forum and not talking about Access 4-H or 4-H online. So Jenny is on today and there, there's your answer. So we're still working that out, just to be clear. We will be there. We will be sharing information. I don't know exactly um, how much time we'll be able to spend, but... Um, but we certainly want to be able to provide that audience information as well. Jill, did you want to go back to our slides? I think so. It looks like the questions in the chat box are tapering down, but certainly continue to um, pot, um, to top, type those in as we proceed. Um, and then Katie and I have a few additional slides that we'll share um, with some information about next steps and a couple of reminders. Um, one of the reminders we want to make is about the county manager accounts. Um, as we've previously mentioned, and we'll share a bit more information about this in a slide, there's a practice account or a training account. That's where Becky was logged into today. Um, you'll have the username and password for that training account, so you can get in, go online, and explore. Um, but in the meantime, Katie needs um, information from you about who um, you would like to have established in your county manager account roles. 
There was an email that went out on September 4th requesting two um, county manager account um, persons to be identified. It's a Qualtrics link. It's really short. It's looking for um, name, email, I, I think maybe one other piece of information. The deadline for responding to that is today. So if you haven't already replied to that message, um, please do so. And each person who um, you want to designate in your county to have one of those county manager accounts needs to respond to that link separately. Katie will be working really hard in the next two weeks. Each one of those accounts has to be individually built. Um, and so she'll be building those accounts um, out as quickly as possible. Um, we're going to guarantee that those will be all set up and accounts will be approved by September 26th. As she does your account, you'll get an email with the username and a temporary password. And at that point, you'll be able to go in and start working on um, your um, county-specific projects you need to add. Um, if you need to add additional clubs, some of the things that Becky walked you through today. But we're recommending that you um, be really comfortable and do your practice in that training account um, simply so that you can avoid um, making errors in your actual account. And one thing to mention with that is, as I set up your accounts, you will get an email um, that will have a password, a sample password in it. You'll have to go in and reset that password, and I will not know what it is. So it's like any other website when you forget your password, you log in and say, I forgot my password, and they auto-generate a new one, and then you'll set a new one when you log in with that uh, auto-generated password. The email, um, there's a couple questions in the chat box. The email with that link for the county managers went to the listserv, to the 4-H listserv. Um, I can resend that today. Katie, do you want to go ahead and advance the slide? Here is that uh, training account information. You're going to log in at fine.com. Pretty simple, pretty easy to remember for us and our families. The username is 4hdata at unl.edu. So that email address you sent for state fair info to, and all of that, I kind of just used that. Um, and then the password is Nebraska 4-H. The N in Nebraska is capitalized. The H in 4-H is not. Becky. Becky, do you want to put that in the chat box as well? Thank you. Okay, and we'll make, that, we'll make that edit on anything we send out to you via email as well. Um, that's really helpful to know, Becky. Thank you for that. Anything we would communicate to families, we'll use that ne.4honline.com 
Um, that way they can bypass that confusion. Um, as we mentioned, we will be creating some template invitations, announcements, instructions that you'll be able to share with families. Um, Katie and I will be working on those in the next couple of weeks. Um, other options for engaging families that have been recommended to us and you may want to consider. Um, pilot enrollments, it was recommended to us by one other um, land-grant university that when you feel like your county um, piece is set up and ready, you may just invite two or three families to come into your office and um, enroll right there so you can see does the process work, do they see all the county-specific options that you're hoping for. So you might consider a, a soft launch or a small pilot enrollment. Uh, another recommendation we've received, um, particularly if you believe that there are um, concerns or barriers about Internet access, is hosting enrollment parties or enrollment events or dates at your office where you encourage families to come in, um, where you can provide them um, computers or iPads to enroll on, um, and you can also be there to provide support and answer questions. Um, and then identifying public locations for enrollment. Again, if there are barriers um, to your families for being able to find places to enroll, you might consider um, working out something with the school or the library, other public um, office to provide um, hours where they could come in to do um, enrollment for 4-H. So those are just some recommendations that have been given to us. I'm certain that we'll come up with um, other creative strategies of our own, uh, but we wanted to give you that information. And, um, and again, as that first bullet alludes to, we'll be sending out more information for you to communicate directly with your families. Well, we've talked about this just a bit, but we are looking at this as um, a phase-by-phase -phase rollout, um, just to give you a heads up on some of the things that are coming next. Um, we are um, exploring the ability to take online payments for your fees. Um, we'll provide a lot more information about that before we would roll it out, but that likely will be the next thing um, to roll out is the option to take online payments. Uh, another piece that will need to come pretty early in our process is the volunteer enrollment features, um, and likely we'll be able to build the um, volunteer screening form right in as well. Um, so those will be other pieces that we'll be rolling out soon and working on. Certainly, it's not exclusive to those two things. We just want to give you a kind of a, um, a teaser about what's going to be coming next. Uh, and then as Katie mentioned, we are going to be offering ongoing Adobe Connect sessions. Uh, right now, we're planning those for every other Friday at 10 um, using the link that you use today. Um, so the next three dates, um, September 26th, You'll notice we skipped the 10th because that's Front Door Forum and went to the 17th and the 31st for October. Um, so that'll give you an idea of, of when the next few dates are. We'll continue to communicate those. Um, Katie sent out lots of reminders for this one. I would suspect you'll see that same level of communication as we move forward. All right. Well, I'm going to switch back and stop sharing my screen. I've seen a couple messages just pop up, so we'll address those. Okay, so Hall County, will the two county managers be the only one 
with the ability to view and edit the county information, county 4-H info, or will everyone in the office be able to, like everyone can with access? Um, Hall County, since those um, uh, accounts have to be set up manually, we asked for two to start with, but if you've got uh, other individuals that may need access to that data, we can set those up as we move through the, the process. Becky, that's good to know that anybody who knows that login password can can sign in. Um, Gwen, that is a feature of 4-H online, like in Access 4-H, we can give club leaders permission to see their information. Um, I'm not sure on the editing, I would assume it would do that, but that's a county level permission that you would need to set up in those options. Um, I'll break in there a little bit. Uh, club leaders, that honestly is a, um, a state level permission. Whether it's a county level permission, whether they can log in, it's a state level permission, whether they can actually edit. Uh, the normal default for a club leader is that they are able to view but not edit. So um, that'll be a discussion for you guys to have and decide how that's going to work uh, for you in Nebraska. Okay, thanks for clarifying that, Becky. The county has complete control over who can log in. They can let three leaders log in and three other ones not log in. It's an individual permission for each specific leader. Uh, I saw there were several questions about ES-237. We'll make sure that we address that on our next call. Um, we hadn't scheduled anything specific um, in regards to a webinar for that, but it can certainly be incorporated into our next um, one of these Adobe Connects. And another reminder, Peggy wanted me to pass along again on this webinar today. I know she sent out an email um, early this morning, but um, today is the last day to make those corrections to your state fair data. If there's any corrections in the results file that needs done, um, they will not be able to cut checks after the first round are cut. So make sure those are, are correct and uh, any changes, get them to Peggy. people are still typing, so we'll see what other things uh, are out there. Yep, thank you, Kathleen, for that reminder on the webinar. I just looked at my calendar. I did have that down, so we'll need to to get that uh, put together and attend it, and we'll send another couple reminders about that. But yes, we will also talk about that group goal goal discussion that we started at January in service.
All the last couple of questions are coming in. Um, I just want to echo again, thank you for your um, patience and your support as we make this transition. Katie and I um, are working really closely together so either of us can um, accept questions from you as you have them or suggestions or ideas. Um, and we'll appreciate a lot of feedback as we're um, launching this um, new platform for online enrollment. Um, Wayne County, when is the ES-237 due? That, I, I will have to get back to you on that one. We'll have to... So again, Celine County is asking, I, Katie and I don't have the deadline um, handy to communicate to you about the ES-237 deadline, so we'll get that sent out to everyone via the listserv shortly. Monty, I see your question and I, I'm not sure I'm following it. Is it possible to send information to those members that enroll in April, May, June? Can you maybe expound on that a little? And I'll just say for others, Katie and I will continue to stay on the line and watch the chat box for a moment. Um, but that concludes the presentation that we plan to share today and the demo that Becky planned to share. Um, we hope that you'll be able to join us on future webinars. We'll continue to record them all. Um, and of course, um, we'll be available to answer your questions via phone and email as you have them as well. So if you've got additional questions, we'll stay on with you for a bit. Um, but if you don't, um, we appreciate you joining us this morning and we'll um, give you 30 minutes back of this um, two-hour block. Yes, access will be continued in March, Monty. It, 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 the server is, National 4-H said no more, and it will be gone. Katie, do you want to address the Hall County question about um, turning off, for lack of a better word, enrollment and access? I don't know if we have that ability, but I think if, if we need to start communicating that to our families now, that it is going away, that we will not be using that um, format, that website for enrollment this year. Um, I'll have to go in and look and see if that is an option. 
but I don't think it is. I know I've been on a couple of county websites and they have information um, up um, where their access information had been housed that just says, you know, enrollment is temporarily under action, check back soon for more information. So wherever you're posting that information, um, you'll want to make those types of comments. Um, and as Kathleen mentioned too, we can we can certainly get Absolutely. you a Kathleen message yeah. and send out to families. Again, if there's nothing else, um, we um, will reconvene with this discussion um, in a couple of weeks, and um, we hope to hear um, feedback and questions from you in the meantime. Katie and I will start getting resources sent to you um, regarding communication with families um, and regarding some of the other um, questions that we heard today. We'll start making some of the adjustments um, in the site, uh, particularly to address some of those required fields that might have um, created a little bit of a barrier today. We'll get those um, all taken care of before the October 1st launch. The webinars are going to be stored. Um, I'm guessing we'll probably put those on the employee resources page. Um, I don't know if we'll put it on the Access 4-H page. That's where I'm guessing, Gwen, but when I send the link out, I will make note of that location on the where these webinars will be stored.